Hello and welcome to Bamboo Works Weekly China Business Update Podcast, an in-house series where we discuss the latest topics on issues affecting China concept stocks. I'm your host, Bamboo Works Editor in Chief Doug Young, joined each week by my partner, J.P. Morgan veteran and longtime China stock watcher Renee Vangusti. Welcome back, Renee.、Uh, let's delve right into the China business headlines from the past week. Today, we're going to look at the latest COVID wrinkle in China, which reportedly has a local government in central Hunan province refusing to pay its COVID testing bills. We'll also look at the latest company hanging out the Chinese "money not welcome" sign, which in this case is coming from the UK. We'll begin with COVID tests, which have become a major expense for cities around China as they're forced to test millions of people each day to keep the virus at bay. A new report saying a testing lab in Hunan Province called Boao Rungkang Medical has refused to handle tests for the city of Shuchang after the city stopped paying its bills. A day later, it said the matter had been effectively resolved, whatever that means.、Uh, but this does shine a spotlight on an interesting question of how mass testing is really straining local finances throughout China. So,、uh, Rene. In this case,、uh, Hunan is it really just the tip of the iceberg in terms of financial strain on local governments? Well, Doug, I would expect that there are other、uh, local governments that are uh, straining uh, with the cost of、uh, COVID control and COVID testing,、uh, both sides of it, in fact.、Um, but、um, it all depends, obviously, on the size of The locality, the municipality, the city,、uh, the province,、uh, because it goes up all those levels.、Um, you would expect that、uh, definitely places like Beijing and Shanghai are obviously richer than a lot of other smaller uh, places uh, inside China,、uh, and that the impact on finances will obviously vary、uh, quite dramatically from one place to another. But yes, it is.、Uh, it is a massive cost.、Uh, as a matter of fact,、um, there was a report、uh, over the past few days from one of the、uh, Chinese securities firms that uh, determined uh, that uh, the cost of COVID zero it actually equals 1.5 percent of GDP、uh, in China, and I assume they were referring primarily to the third quarter. So、uh, this obviously raises a few、uh, questions.、Uh, one is how long、uh, can China overall、uh, continue to、uh, pay for that extraordinary cost? Secondly, what are the implications of this in terms of、um, the GDP、uh, figures that China、uh, publishes every quarter? And as we all know, for the third quarter. The GDP grew at about 3.9 percent.、Uh, how much of that should be subtracted in order to uh, determine uh, the actual health of the economy? If you take out、uh, the cost of COVID、uh, zero, dynamic COVID uh, zero, uh, in terms of、uh, controls and the armies, the millions of people who are involved in the monitoring and the controls and so on, and then the cost of the tests, because as you said rightly, there are millions and millions and millions of tests being conducted every day,、mm. and even if they cost only the equivalent of two or three 
US dollars per kit, um, you can very quickly get a sense for how much it is in total. I expect that there are uh, other uh, local governments that are straining um, and it's not clear what, uh, what the solution is. Some people have mentioned that uh, maybe local governments should make um, the Chinese people pay for the test. Um, I think that raises quite a number of issues, though. Well, right. That's that was going to be my my next question. Um, you know how how is this all going to play out? I mean, uh, I think there's a few things we could look at. One is is Beijing going to ease the testing requirements? Because right now, I mean, I I live here in in Shanghai, and I basically get tested pretty much every 24 hours just because it's free, You're it's right. convenient. And if you let it expire, like some of my friends, you know, have done by mistake in the past, you you can't take the subway, you can't take any transit, you can't go into any shopping malls, any shops or anything like that. Um, but, you know, if they suddenly start making me pay for my test, I, I'm going to have some more ideas. And, you know, for a family of, of three or four. Uh, you know, that starts to add up a bit. You know, they're talking around, I think, like 15, 15 quai uh, per test. Uh, so, you know, for a family of, of three or four, you're talking, you know, 50, 60 quai per day, which is, what, about $10? Um, you know, so that's, that's, that's not peanuts. Uh, the other option, you know, is that Beijing maybe could ease the testing requirements and maybe not be every day right now we're every three days but you effectively have to do it every two days um to keep current so i mean what do you what do you think is going to happen here any any thoughts well it's it it's difficult to tell because um first of all if if you look at it overall uh, the government comes out and says uh to the chinese people in general uh, trust us, we're doing everything that uh, needs to be done to keep you safe. And uh, that includes, among other things, uh, frequent testing, especially if people leave home. Uh, so it, it's hard to see how people would easily accept the fact that they would have to pay um, for measures that they have to go through aside from the annoyance of it, but the pure cost of it, uh, that they have to go through because the government wants them to, to go through these measures, to get tested and all of that. So that's, that's one, one set of consideration. Another consideration, obviously, in terms of people being forced to pay for it is, assumedly, uh, people who go to work every day and have to rely on public transportation to go to work, uh, would then presumably have to pay the cost of uh, the test every day, supposedly, just to go to work. Uh, how would that play out? Or would people then decide that they're staying home? They don't want to spend the money. Um, and therefore, what kind of impact is that? would that have on the economy? Um, other considerations in, in that respect are uh, obviously... Um, whether you can actually force people to do anything. And if people don't want to, to pay for it uh, because the impact on their own finances uh, is too high for them, then what kind of ripple effect does that have on the economy? 
in terms of reduced consumption, in terms of some people maybe deciding that they won't go to work because they don't want to afford, uh, they don't want to pay for the cost, they cannot afford it. What about the kids going to school and taking public transportation and so on? So I, th I think it's, it's actually pretty difficult, uh, in my view, to expect that uh, it, it would be possible. Um, well, I think everything is possible, but it would be easy to transfer the cost of the testing to individuals. Um, an intermediary solution could be that uh, if people need to get tested every day to go to work, maybe you transfer the cost of the test to the company, to the employers. Um, but uh, there's no way to tell, I think, at this stage uh, exactly how this might play out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and if you, I mean, so many employers right now are hurting so bad. If you add yet another expense onto their, uh, you know, their already hurting situation, uh, I doubt the employers will be too happy, but, um, yeah, it just looks like there's. Then there's obviously finally, uh, you know, the possibility always, and, and it, it has been done of telling people, they go to work one morning, they cannot go back home. <laughs> they stay at work within a closed loop, uh, which, which is something that uh, has been practiced uh, and you know, could probably be practiced more. That would cut the cost to both governments, to all governments, individuals, and potentially companies as well. Mm -hmm. But then you're raising a number of other social issues. Yeah, I mean, there's... I don't think there's any easy answer on this one, but uh, I guess stay tuned. All right, well, let's let's move on to the, the next subject, which is uh, looking at the latest country that's said no thanks to Chinese investment, uh, at least in the uh, increasingly sensitive microchip sector. Uh, this time it's, it's the UK that's vetoed a year-old purchase of a relatively small chip-making plant in Wales to a Chinese group led by a company called WingTech. Now, uh, this deal actually closed last year and was relatively small. It was worth less than $100 million. Uh, but now the British government's nixing it retroactively, and it's uh, citing national security uh, reasons. Now, this comes just a week after Germany similarly killed two China chip-related purchases for the same reasons. Uh, so this looks like a relatively low-tech deal, even if it's the biggest chip plant in, in uh, Britain. Uh, what do you think is driving this? And do you think we'll see more countries following suit? I think I think we will see other countries, depending on whether Chinese companies try to uh, try to acquire uh, similar companies, chip related, mostly companies in other countries in Europe, or whether uh, this will be enough of a message that uh, they will they will not try again. But it's, I think there are a few considerations here uh, that, uh, that are important. One, obviously, uh, and that is typically the way that these things are always positioned, is uh, national security slash strategic uh, interest of a specific country when it comes to a specific sector. Um, both the US and Europe were actually pretty late uh, in that game. China 
uh, started uh, many years ago, um, actually a little over a decade ago, to declare a number of industries uh, strategic national interest. And it's extremely difficult for anybody that is not a Chinese company to get involved in uh, those specific sectors. So I think that uh, what we're seeing here is uh, Western countries, or at least some Western countries, um, gradually uh, focusing on this issue. Now, um, as we all know, um, the US was the first one to agitate, I guess is, is a word that we can use here, about this whole issue of technology competition. Uh, it started several years ago, particularly with Huawei, but also ZTE, and, and, uh, and it has evolved uh, to become uh, I think a bit wider than the initial actions that were taken and being placed very squarely within uh, considerations of national security, uh, technology competition and all of that. Uh, so if you look at the UK uh, example uh, in particular, one, I think that uh, there is a strategic consideration at stake here. Two, there is, I would expect, definitely pressure from the US. Let's not forget that uh, the UK is out of the European community, uh, standing alone from an economic standpoint, and is uh, obviously very eager to uh, sign a, a trade treaty uh, with the US. And um, I would therefore expect that uh, that there is, there has been pressure from the U.S. and and the pressure has been uh, received on the other side, and I would think that this is a second consideration in this whole development here, and possibly a third uh, implication is uh, public opinion. Uh, public opinion in Europe has vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, China has changed uh, substantially over the past few years. Um, and the public is increasingly paying attention and increasingly aware of the fact that uh, there is now a global uh, competition that uh, they perceive to be much more acute than before, especially in technology. So I think we're looking at three potential factors here. So do you see this kind of Western ban on Chinese chips spreading into other areas? So far, we haven't seen China do much but complain. But do you see them reacting more strongly in the future? Well, I, I think that when when you look at uh, the current situation on the technology front today between China and definitely the U.S. and some countries in Europe as well, uh, there is a uh, general understanding that uh, right now, at least, uh, the U.S., the Western world, is still ahead of China in a number of technologies, and uh, because of ideological reasons, among others, um, the West wants to slow down uh, the ability of China to catch up. Um, chips are a prime example, obviously, especially advanced uh, chips, uh, which can be used uh, for very advanced technology. Uh, as we all know, including military uh, space and and all of that. So that uh, that is pretty clear. Uh, whether there are other parts of the tech sector which at some point in time are going to 
appear as uh, strategically important to the West in terms of uh, retaining its technology competitive advantage, um, we'll see. Uh, it, you know, there have been measures earlier uh, which were more related to other issues than pure technology competition, but for instance, with any kind of technology that has to do with surveillance. So um, it is possible that we'll see more uh, as time is going by. I think it will also depend on how successful this particular effort here is. And um, I don't think that anybody has a very clear uh, view as to how successful it's going to be and how long it's going to play out. Now, as far as China retaliating, you're right. I mean, so far, uh, there's not really been pushback. There's, there have been complaints and there have been statements that have been made. But yeah, I think that you know China has certain things that they could use. For instance, rare earths um, is is one that comes to mind immediately, where there is still a very strong imbalance between uh, the supplies in China and and, and the supplies that con that China controls, versus uh, what the West is uh, able to produce. Um, there's there's no comparison right now. It's heavily tilted uh, in favor of China, and the West is trying to catch up, um, but it's going to take some time. And then in some countries like the U.S., you have environmental considerations on top of it uh, that complicate uh, the situation. So yeah, I think that I think that China has ways to uh, push back, uh, retaliate. Maybe is the appropriate term. I'm not sure how far that will go, because if you do that with respect to um, rare earth materials, that obviously has a huge impact on uh, you know, anything that has to do with green technology uh, and, um, and uh, the potential consequences, obviously, is that China would be viewed as sabotaging any efforts in terms of uh, you know, making the world greener. So I think that uh, that's going to be a delicate a part to play, but uh, but they have they, they have ways that uh, that they can use if if it comes to that if they feel that they have no choice. And that does it for this edition of the Bamboo Works China Business Update. Join us next week for the next edition when we'll talk about China's recent appetite for global metal mines and signs of collapse for a two-year-old COVID partnership between China's Fosun and Germany's BioNTech. See you next week. See you next week. Bye.